Connection Network. Welcome again to the Ruthless Aggressive Podcast, episode number forty. Big one. Uh, kind of a milestone. It's uh, a <laughs> divisible by ten, so I guess that's significant. Anyway, um, we're on the road to Survivor Series here, a couple weeks away. I have a brand new guest who has never been on the show before, so I will introduce him right from the get go. It will be Mr. Mike Cook. What's up, Mike? Not much. How you doing? I mean, great weekend here. So how's it down your way? Yeah, it's a little. It's we're supposed to get a, a cool front this weekend. It's still. It's been, believe it or not, close to the 90s. Has been the highest this week, even as um, uh, even though we're supposed to be in fall or we're getting closer to Halloween. It's I don't know. Sometimes fall kind of has a tendency to delay itself here down in the south, unfortunately. But I'll be looking forward to. We're supposed to get some lows in the 50s, which I'm for you is probably like not you know nothing. But here it's like. You know, people have the sweaters out. It'll be a full on, a full deal. That's that's still shorts and t-shirt weather for us up here. You know, <laughs> right. the land of the land of New England. If if you don't like the weather, wait five minutes. Right. <laughs> and I um uh, I've had I'm getting my first like uh, I don't know if you're a, a sinus or allergy guy, Mike. If that is something that you're plagued by, I unfortunately am. And I've been, and I think it's just the the wearing the mask thing so much. I haven't really. I'm usually good for a good two or three colds a year, but I haven't really gotten one in a really long time. Like, and I, I feel like I have one coming on. I'm gonna try and knock it out over the next few days. Hopefully, I could stop it before it it gets going. But I, I got the nasal drip going a little bit. So, but it, it's been a while for me. Like I said, I don't know if it's just wearing the mask has kind of kept the germs away uh, or whatever over the past year or so. But I've, oh, I've been definitely been down the colds on my yeah, normal it, clip. It, it, mm-hmm. it definitely, it definitely is. Cause I usually get sick like mid January and I have that, mm-hmm. that perma cold through March. Right. Didn't get it this year. My wife without 
question every year gets either pneumonia or bronchitis and she hasn't had it in two years you know she hasn't had it since um last year when because she worked in the medical field so they were starting to wear masks Mm -hmm. in the beginning of march and she usually gets it during the summer and both summers this year she was good and she was like it's 100 percent the masks Mm -hmm. oh i get the bronchitis too um a decent amount, like maybe once a year or every twice a year. And that is brutal because it just lingers for so long. And like, you can go to the doctor and they're just like, well, we can give you some medicine, but it kind of just has to work its way out. And sometimes you can have that lingering cough that lasts for like a good three or four weeks and it can be brutal. So I feel her on that one. I could tell you but, sound a little nasally. To, you sound it. <laughs> right, right. But we're going to power through, Michael. We're going to power through as we do. Strictly professional here on the uh, Ruthlessly Aggressive Podcast. Um, Mike, since it's your first time on the show, my, my normal question is, uh, at this time, so we are now getting in the late 2002. I'm, I'm slowly but surely getting towards the end of 2002. Um, I didn't think I ever would get through this year. Um, given that I take this week by week, but I am. Um, where were you, Mike, as a fan, if we were to turn back the uh, clock to, you know, October of 2002? Were you still watching every week? What was your um, what was your status as a WWE fan at this point? Well, in 2002, I was working a lot, and I tried to watch as much as I could. Um, I know I really picked it up toward uh, Mania 19 coming up. You know, at the beginning of the year, because I went to I went to 19, which was awesome, by the oh, way, wow. still wow. still better than 17. Just my guy, my opinion. But that's for another day. But uh, <laughs> um, right. I was watching. And then when I rewatched this, I'm like, wow, I forgot about that. Oh, wow. And, you know, things I remembered, you know, things I forgot things, you know, and, and it's so funny because and unfortunately, I didn't get to show my wife, but I, I, I'm going to show her later, like just Batista, Orton and Cena. Just, you know, mm-hmm. seeing them start out, I mean, Orton without the 5 million tattoos, I mean, Batista just freaking ripped. Not that he, he's not ripped, but I mean, like, that was like freak of nature Batista era, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, you know, it was just, it's a, it's amazing what comes back to you. And I haven't watched these. I've watched bits and parts. Like, um, I remember rewatching the Cena rap, but because they've seen shown that all in every story about John Cena. Mm-hmm. So I remember that vividly. I remembered, you know, some, you know, the Bischoff Stephanie thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I didn't go back when, uh, you know, what you and Jenny had to suffer through. <laughs> right. Um, but it's, it, it was fun. It was fun rewatching. And, and I think I was watching TNA at the time too like just very so had they started yet on their on um spike yet no i don't think so no. it would be quite a while um so i can't remember i don't think they're we do the uh highway to the impact zone and we're in 05 and they're still on fox sports so i think it's i've been told by the uh because i've the only tna i've watched is what i've watched for the pod and supposedly i think it's late 05 they kind of make the move to spike and that kind of goes i guess what a lot of people would call their peak but um yeah they're still definitely in this area in the weekly pay-per-view mold yeah so so i was just mm -hmm. reading about it i wasn't watching it but i was keeping up i was keeping up with it you know so you know just as a benefit in case it ever came on yeah i definitely didn't order any of the pay-per-views it is sort of the fun of going back to the week to week doing this pod is 
um, like you mentioned, I remember a lot of the, the broad strokes of everything, but the minutia, like I obviously remember the scene of Raffles on Halloween, but I definitely remember like, um, like uh, I had covered before we got to the Halloween episode, how like what me, me and Jenny talked about how poorly Cena was doing at this point. Like he was just kind of forgotten and they tried to make him a generic keel and it's just like if you would have saw him in that, uh, we talked about it, if you saw him the week before the Halloween episode and he would have never shown up again, I don't think you would have been shocked because he just seemed like he had kind of petered out after kind of a hot debut. So it's the stuff like that that is maybe, that's the kind of stuff I enjoy going back to, that there's no way I remember that if I wouldn't be kind of picking apart like I do on this pod. Well, I remember with Cena, Bruce Pritchard had said, I, I don't know if it was a European trip or something right before the Halloween episode, and mm-hmm. they said if he didn't do that rap on the bus, I think they were on a mm-hmm. bus. If he didn't do that, he probably would have been sent back to F- uh, FCW. And that was mm-hmm. like, I mean, it was, I think it was like a week before that Halloween episode. And then they said, uh, let's give it a try and see how it comes out. It was, yeah. it was Stephanie. His story is mm-hmm. that it was Stephanie that let him try it. And, you know, I mean, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, like Jenny said you know wondering whatever happened to him in the long run but mm-hmm. see how it yeah goes. <laughs> yeah we'll see we'll see where he is so he'll, he'll pop up on these so um we'll jump into it we uh before we get to actual shows we have a few news and notes little tidbits not a whole bunch here but a few i think kind of important ones uh, i mentioned it on previous on the previous episode but there's still kind of a conflict between hogan and the wwe particularly he, he invents as, of course, uh, Hogan was supposed to return to face Brock again, but Hogan, as he does from time to time, is holding out because he does not want to come back and lose to Brock again. So they're kind of, you know, kind of still at an impasse, and they're sort of, it's mentioned, Meltzer mentions that Vince is kind of at the point where he's kind of <laughs> saying, fuck Hogan, if, like he doesn't need him anymore. He's kind of run his course on that. Hogan's going to do a few more dates for his book tour or whatever. There originally was a plan for he and Vince to go against each other at WrestleMania that you just talked about, WrestleMania 19. But as of now, that is kind of out the window. Uh, it basically surmises that Meltzer's treating it almost like the Austin situation, where despite the the level of the person, Vince is kind of trying to prove a point that no one is above the company and all that sort of stuff. So um, back to... <laughs> How quickly things uh, go back to where they were as, um, you know, we're back to Hogan being, uh, you know, kind of exiled from WWE. But as we know, that won't last that long. Yeah, I mean, it's so it's amazing how how certain people defend him. And obviously we weren't there, but with so many people just and just like how many times he stopped and went and stopped and went after WCW closed and. Um, I mean, Hogan was still a draw, like a small draw, but in small portions, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, in TNA news, uh, I mentioned last time that Panda Energy had officially purchased the majority interest in TNA, um, and they have decided that it will that Jerry Jarrett will remain in charge. Russo not too happy about that, so he uh, no showed whatever show they had this week, and. Um, yeah, that's kind of what's going on. He also mentions that Dixie Carter, the daughter, announced the ownership change to employees and wrestlers at a big company-wide meeting. Jerry and Jeff Jarrett will remain minority owners, but they essentially work for Panda now, if we're being realistic. And then um, Meltzer goes into the complications of this, because as we've seen with WCW, when you have a much bigger company running something, things can get kind of complicated. 
And even more difficult for TNA is that at least WCW is run by a TV company. They are now owned by an energy company that runs power plants and such that has no idea how to run this. So uh, he just kind of mentions that it's going to be interesting to see where they go. And sure enough, it would be quite an interesting tale that is still going on to this day. Like your podcast, TNA never dies. <laughs> right, right. Um, but make no mistake. Uh, anyway, he says that it's... Uh, Make no mistake, it has saved the company because they were pretty much at the point where they were going to be running a few more shows and they were quickly going to be out of money. So, yeah, it did. I mean, kind of saved them. Uh, if Panda Energy doesn't step in, you know, TNA would have been dead after just a few months. It's kind of crazy. Um, former wrestler Brian Blair of the Killer Bees came just 4,000 votes shy of winning a nasty political race for county commissioner somewhere in Florida. So, I, I did not know that Brian Blair was in politics at this time. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, IWA Mid-South held a two-night Ted Petty Memorial Tournament that featured some notable names. Quite a list here, Mike. We have Colt Cabana, AJ Styles, Christopher Daniels, Ken Anderson, Ace Steel, Chris Hero, M-Dog 20, CM Punk, and BJ Whitmer, among others. So um, a who's who of would be, um, you know, some of the top indie guys and just guys in general over the next decade or two decades but quite a murderer's row there that'd be a good card today yeah uh wwe so we're in the nitty-gritty here of the business side of this their cfo and two of its top marketing execs are out of the company uh not going to get too much of this but it just kind of shows as i've covered throughout the pod the kind of uh i guess a little bit of the turmoil going on behind the scenes for wwe at this time as business is kind of slipping a little bit there's a, a, a little bit of change going on backstage as they try and regroup in this sort of new era. So just an interesting tidbit there. Um, uh, he mentions the future opponents for Brock Lesnar as a babyface, uh, Dave List, Big Show, Kurt Angle, and Eddie Guerrero's possibilities, and they've decided to settle on Big Show given his kind of size, and uh, they don't think Eddie is ready. And Dave, um, in one of these, you know, hindsight being 2020, Dave says, I can't ever see – Eddie versus Brock being a big pay-per-view match. So that would kind of, <laughs> that wouldn't turn out to be very true. Uh, uh, he then talks about all the appearances of WWE wrestlers on the TV show, Blind Date, Chris Nowinski, Linda Miles, Maven, Nydia, and Jackie Gator. So I guess it was a tough enough, uh, tough enough themed episode of Blind Date. I'm um, having flashbacks of seeing Blind Date on like a uh, basic, <laughs> on like a uh, basic TV, basic cable. UHF. Like a, yeah, right. At like, uh, you know, 1230 on a Saturday night or something. Uh, and then finally, uh, Goldberg gave another interview and talked about WWE. And he questioned whether Scott Steiner would be able to hold up to the WWE schedule, but wished him luck. And uh, he buried the Katie Vick angle as pretty much anyone not involved with the company is doing at this point. Except Jenny. Uh, <laughs> right, right. Jenny, uh, Oscar winning performance by Triple H. Uh but that will end the news and notes, Mike. Again, not too much going on. Not, nothing super notable there. Uh, but we will go into our first uh, episode here. It's going to be Raw, the November 4th, 2002 Raw, uh, live from Boston. So near your neck of the woods, Mike, right? Yeah, um, it's about about two, a two-hour drive for me. A um, right. little bit more than half. We're a little bit more than halfway between Boston and uh, New York. But it's definitely... Not that bad of a drive. There you go. And we'll get a few references to uh, WrestleMania 14 because we are in Boston. Uh, we start the show with Eric watching a, uh, a replay of he and Stephanie on Halloween. 
Uh, and after this, it's a very awkward moment. He just kind of stands solemnly, sort of looking down, I guess. And I don't know if they're trying to show that he's like, has a thing for Stephanie or he's like chair looking back to the moment with fondness or something. I don't know, but it's a, it's one of these hidden camera deals that they've been doing with the, the F what is it? F view TV or something like that. (laughs) I totally forgot about it. I mean, in, in the difference between this and if, you know, GTV that happened, um, I mean, Bischoff admitted he put it in. Right. Yes. It's already kind of strange. Like why is it recording him? Uh, but he'll address that in a little while. Uh, HBK is in the building, as we see. So he is going to certainly be looking for Triple H. But in a, in a, a change uh, for the normal Raw structure, we're going to start off with a match rather than a 20-minute long interview. We're going to th- start with a three-minute warning versus uh, Jeff Hardy and Bubba Ray, a team that was kind of formed last week. And they, they're trying to hype this team as like, oh, my goodness, this is the craziest thing, uh, a Hardy and a Dudley together. Uh, but I don't know if it's really coming off that way. But anyway, um, we start off, they get the early advantage against three-minute warning. Uh, Jeff dies off of Bubba as the heels kind of argue and try to regroup. Rosie and Jamal finally take over. I still have found them a bit underwhelming in these matches, like uh, when they have to do an actual match like this. Just sort of, they hit a a few pretty cool big moves when they're in these matches, but the in-between is a little bland. They just kind of do real basic strikes. They don't come off as you know, the greatest powerhouse guys ever. But anyway, we get a hot tag to Jeff, who's been, um, I feel like Jeff's been a little bit uh, rejuvenated these last few weeks. He's looked a lot better than he has. I don't know if it's just being back in kind of tag matches has helped him a bit, but I thought he was pretty good here. Spike uh, comes in to stop Rico's interference. Jamal goes after Jeff, leaving Rosie to take the was up. Uh, Jamal pins Jeff with the Samoan drop amid all of the chaos as things kind of break down. Uh, so, again, they won. Three-minute warning did win, but I didn't think that they looked super dominant like you would expect them to based on how they've been introduced and, you know, when they were beating people down. But either way, I thought it was a fun kind of high-energy opener, which was a nice change of pace for the normal long promos we get. So I ended up going two stars on it. I thought it was a decently solid match, Mike. Yeah, I I went two stars also. Um, now, did you notice the um, the – Three minute warning. Did you hear the music or was the music off or was it like Right. It definitely seemed like there were like issues. No, I noticed that too. The 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 audio seemed very muted. Like I could so, faintly hear it. So I don't remember if that was a thing or if it was music. I mean in other times that you've seen them, have has they had the music? Yeah, they have. Okay, I think so. It yeah. almost seemed like they were having like technical difficulties with the audio on yeah. the show a little bit. But, but I do have to agree, they're more of a segment. It seems like a segment mm-hmm. type team. Um, I mean, because they're great. I mean, as far as when when you first introduced them and then going through everything. Um, I do, however, like the pairing with Rico. Uh, um, you know, that was something because the internet was still. I mean, it's been around, but like the dirt sheets or, or the internet things was still a little was still new. But I I, I read about them and about Rico and his story. Um, you know, so I, I do like that pairing. Um, and if you really notice, I mean, his uh, bubble Ray in his dress, I think this was like, a, if he was a heel at this point, mm-hmm. it's almost like the precursor to bully, Ray. right? You know, just, just his man. I mean, he's always had that side of him, but I think he was more like, I don't know how to put like, like just his movements and his facial expressions and all that. 
Um, and I really do think there was a lot of chemistry with Bubba and Jeff. Like, mm -hmm. I, I really think they worked very well together. Um, I didn't, there was really no botching of everything between that. You would, you figure sometimes it happens with, with, with people not teaming a lot. Um, and I thought they were, I thought they were very, uh, smooth. Right. It could just be a fact of, could be them. They both been doing single stuff for a while at this point. So just getting back into like a tag situation is good for them. And they're obviously both really talented tag wrestlers. So it could be that like just, and I think they have a good dynamic of, you know, Bubba's more of a power guy. Jeff has the, uh, you know, his, you know, big, you know, high risk spots or whatever. So I think that works okay. And I don't know, I just feel like Jeff's looked a lot better. He's looked a little more focused and has a little bit more of that good Jeff Hardy fire that, you know, when he is on the top of his game that he's so good at. I feel like he's brought that a little bit more recently. But I was a little surprised they took the loss. I thought, you know, it seemed like they're maybe pushing this Jeff Bubba thing a bit. But I don't know. It could just be something they've thrown together for a week or two. I mean, if you also look at their double team moves, you know, mm -hmm. you know, the what's up, they did it with the leg instead of that. But I mean, it was just smooth. And then same mm -hmm. thing with, um, you know, when Bubba Ray went down and Jeff jumped off his back. I mean, it was just it, it just seemed very smooth, almost like they've been tagging forever. I mean, I, I guess it does help that they, you know, being opponents in some of the most classic matches in uh, WWE history. Mm hmm. All right. All right. We'll keep going. We hit backstage. Victoria is excited that Ivory is back on the scene. Uh, Trish has accepted the hardcore challenge uh, that Victoria has set out for Survivor Series. But Ivory juts in and says that there won't be much of Trish left after she's done with her tonight. And uh, Victoria then starts to ramble and says that she does want uh, Ivory to destroy her pretty little face and her pretty little body. Really pushing the... Uh, they're starting to really pick up steam with the whole Victoria being kind of like a psycho or like, you know, crazy sort of thing, which has been sort of more subtle. Now they're really trying to lay it on pretty thick here with Victoria being like crazed. Yeah. It's funny how she's like, and you think I'm crazy. <laughs> right. Um, but we go straight into that match. So it would be Trish versus Ivory. Uh, we start off with a pretty good beat down by Ivory to, um, on Trish, laying some pretty nice spots. I thought Ivory looked pretty good here. Victoria joins commentary, but she doesn't speak. So, again, trying to push the that she's kind of, I don't know, deranged or something like that. Uh, we get some back and forth here. Trish is kind of trying to fight back a little bit. Trish makes a little bit of a comeback and then manages to hit the bulldog for a win. Uh, real basic match. It just seemed like it was there to put Trish over and build the heat with Victoria. Ivory is just kind of there to be an opponent for Trish so she didn't have to face Victoria. But I thought the match was okay. I went a star and a half. I thought Ivory looked okay. It didn't get a ton of time, so it's not like they could do a whole lot. But it, it put Trish over. It builds the, builds the um, as we'll talk about in a second, the post-match too sort of builds the Victoria feud for Trish. So I went a star and a half on it, Mike. I only went one star. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it just seemed like that um, it was very uh, botchy. You know, like mm -hmm. Ivory, she just seemed eh, like she wasn't smooth at all. And if you notice some of her punches, I mean, you could tell they missed by a mile. And I normally don't try to look for that stuff. But it was mm -hmm. to me, it was painfully obvious. Um, you know, not only the punch, but when one of her um, like when she got into the corner, like just totally missed. Um, I, I just think there wasn't much chemistry at all there. Uh, but it, it was more, it was more of a setup for the angle. 
Right. So after the match, as um, as Trish is heading back up the ramp, Victoria's at commentary, which is by the ramp at this point. As the brand split, they've changed the commentary. But anyway, uh, she throws a water bottle at Trish and uh, goes after. They kind of brawl on the ramp, and Victoria slams Trish's head into the ramp. So really make it... uh, making uh trish look vulnerable here and really trying to again the main i thought i thought they accomplished it okay the main point of all of this was just to establish victoria as like crazed and more of a maniac that's becoming more and more obsessed with trish and kind of hurting her hurting her and even i guess like disfiguring her is her goal i guess and she really clocked jerry lawler right you're right she did (laughs) good for good for her he deserved it. <laughs> anyway, um, we didn't see her backstage as the uh, FVU TV sees it. Angry Victoria head backstage. She runs into Terry. Terry tries to calm her down. And, of course, rather than just beat her up, she has to strip Terry down into her underwear because why would she just beat her up? I mean, that would be too. <laughs> we have to make sure she strips her into her underwear. So, again, more of Victoria being crazy. Yeah, I mean, it, and it was so it was so funny how they tried – to go such back to the attitude era, um, you know, mm-hmm. especially since business was down. But I don't know. I guess maybe this is twenty twenty hindsight, but obviously business is going to be down because mm-hmm. now there isn't that competition. It's instead of you know all that audience, you know, people just stopped watching. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got to also remember too. Look at what what time of year it is and. And people that hate WWE say this all the time. Monday Night Football has nothing to do with it. BS. Monday Night Football mm-hmm. has a lot to do with it. Um, you know, it's still a, a ratings juggernaut. November, you know, you got to still remember all the TV shows are starting their new, you know, their new seasons. And DVR was becoming a thing here. Or TiVo was beginning mm-hmm. becoming a thing here. So... But so they they relay that on low ratings into just basically trying to go back to what worked in a time that it really wasn't working. Right. And without the the star power necessarily that you had in the attitude era as your your one and one a of rock and Austin are both gone at this point. So you're trying to run similar things, but without the star power to back it up. So it, they're, they're really pushing SmackDown. We'll get to as, but a different, they're going for an entirely different vibe, but I definitely agree. That's what Raw's going for and has really not worked out for him. It's floundered by quite a bit, but um, what I have enjoyed is the uh, next segment. And that's going to be the Randy news network. As Randy shows up to give us an update on his shoulder injury, he said that the shoulder now is 32% mobility, which is up from 30%, which is 2% more. He says, keep sending the emails to get well, Randy at, um, I forget what it was a get well, Randy at WWE.com or something. Yeah. So I've enjoyed these. It's quick hit. It's awesome. It gives us some character stuff. I've enjoyed his smug kind of, um, smug pseudo heel sort of character here. I, I really love the Randy news network. The uh, 32% mobility popped me. <laughs> yeah. I, I really liked it also. Um, you know, and, I think it obviously in the long run, it turned it out being a good thing that they turned him heel, you know, like at this, even though, I mean, it's almost like angle-esque, you know, he come in all happy and everybody, you know, almost sarcastically because he's not officially a heel. Right. But, 
Um, I, I I really like these, and you can tell when it started going up by two percent <laughs> that they were going to be doing something. And voila, you know, it turns out, you know, as we find out later, that something was really good. <laughs> right. All right, we had Derek Bischoff, who's who is berating a PA for putting the FU cam in his office, like we saw at the top of the show, and actually ends up firing him. Triple H and Flair show up to speak with him. They want to know if what Eric knows about HBK. They then complain about the chamber that it's unfair to Triple H that he has to be in there with all these other guys and put his title on the line. Uh, Eric uh, chimes back and says that he wants the chamber to be a mystery. Uh, so he's not going to explain what it is, which, of course, makes them even more upset. He says that Triple H deserves to be part of history and that if he is the great champion that he says he is, he should have no problem beating everyone in the cage. Uh, so I, I kind of enjoy this heel versus heel dynamic. It's kind of an interesting little twist here that even these they're both pretty straight up heels, but they're still like in conflict with each other. Like I kind of enjoy because I don't know if it would work super well because Triple H has already had so much. You know, Eric has helped him already by giving the title. I think it would be a little bit too much if Eric was totally on his side. Like, they've already kind of stacked the deck in Triple H's favor. So I kind of like that Bischoff is against him. But um, Triple H goes ends it by talking about um, that he believes that the reason that Eric is out to get him now is because uh, he has a thing for Stephanie and uh, ki- kissing Stephanie footage and all that kind of stuff and making out with his ex-wife. And that's why... Eric is out to get him. So again, I kind of enjoyed this whole dynamic between Triple H and, and Eric here. Um, I do too. I mean, I thought it might have went a little long. Um, right. You know, I, I mean, and Ric Flair, just the the face that he made as he's playing the VCR, that was funny. <laughs> yeah. And and I here I say VCR. Um, <laughs> but I I do like you know his paranoia with HBK, um, and all that, but. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The whole the whole dynamic is is pretty is pretty good, and it it's very interesting, especially since Eric's the one that gave him the type. Right. Yeah, I think it's it. Uh, he's not completely off off base by saying it could be because Eric has a thing for Stephanie. I mean, it's not the it wouldn't be like the strangest thing in the world, but yeah, kind of like yeah, Flair's like the tape man. He's always got the tape now. That's like his thing. Yeah, the Katie Vick tape. He's got this tape. Uh, funny. All right. Well, uh, we'll head to our next match. It's going to be a tag match between uh, Lance Storm and William Regal. They're going to be facing the um, the thrown together team of Tommy Al Snow. Tommy Dreamer still has the goofy hat on with the the WWE like logo and like as the American flag. He just looks like I don't know. He's looking very jobbery here, Tommy. But anyway, Storm comes out. He scolds the crowd for taking voting for granted. Uh, but he gets cut off by a promo uh, package for Scott Steiner, just like Scott Steiner's Tron cuts them off. So the Scott Steiner hype is in full effect at this point. Uh, Snow and Tommy's music is just terrible. It's like the most generic, weird, like electronic rock riff thing I've ever heard. Like they just pulled it from the bottom of the, like Jim Johnson's outtakes or something. It was just terrible. Uh, but Regal goes after the D of, of Al Snow for the beginning, kind of doing his typical Regal stuff, trying to work a body part. Dreamer comes in, he cleans house a little bit. Regal is able to land a sick kick when he comes back into right into Dreamer's mouth for the win, which was definitely the spot of the match. He kicked the piss out of him right in the face. Uh, this match was all of about two minutes. It was solid for what they did, but just not enough time to really do too much. And I mean, Regal, I thought was the most interesting part of this. Snow and Dreamer just kind of almost looked like a, 
a jobber to the stars type of team here. So I would have started a half on him, Mike. I want to, I want to, I want to start half also. Um, it just seemed like that move wasn't supposed to happen. It, almost like the way Lance Storm came out. Um, I thought that maybe something went wrong. It just seemed the ending seemed awkward. Yeah, it was a bit. It was the whole match was a little herky jerky. Like it just seemed they like they had they didn't have a lot of time, so they were just like. You know, just kind of hurry up and get into their stuff and going through. But a, a real basic match, I guess they're – I can never tell because the Storm and Regal team, sometimes they're presented as kind of strong and sometimes they're just sort of fodder. So uh, not much to that one. Just sort of another filler match. Uh, but we go to um, – we see that Batista is actually here. We've been seeing the, the promo packages for the genetic revolution, but he's actually in the building. And as you said earlier um, in our intro, Mike, that he looks completely jacked. He looks – Fantastic. He looks like a complete beast. Uh, revamp look. He's got the short trunks on. Uh, you know, looks very close to the Batista that we would, you know, the Batista that he would become through most of his run. Yeah, I mean, he was just huge. I mean, he looked subhuman there. I mean, he just looked um, the way he was, the way he was built. I mean, he's almost, I can't even describe it. It's just the way he was. I mean, right. he's definitely not that big now, and he wasn't—he wasn't like that um, in his later years. But he's just—he's just a monster. I mean, big difference from seeing him in the uh, in the getup and SmackDown. Right. Uh, we then head to Stacy, who was speaking with Test about his testicles. She said that they have so much fan mail that they have someone has even created the testicle fan club. Tess still a little bit reluctant about this, and he, we see Tess um, brushing his hair, which then Stacy grabs and says that she wants to cut his hair, which Tess seems skeptical of that as well. So Stacy continuing to try and revamp Tess's look for his testicles. Well, basically everyone except HBK at this time, except him and uh, Triple H, they're all mm-hmm. the, they've all gone short hair. Mm-hmm. You know, very soon, you know, as we know, Edge and Chris, they they all start cutting it. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think it was just that time of that time, you know, for a new look for everybody. Right. All right. Speaking of Batista, we will head to um, well to him. He's going to be in, in action against Just Incredible, who is making his um, his debut for the this pod. I've not seen Just Incredible since I started. Uh, of course, he just destroys Just Incredible. Like, um, uh, you know, just tosses him around, hits some power moves, throws him in the corner a bunch. The highlight is he does his fireman's carry kind of move, um, which they do kind of switch it around because they're almost portraying that as his finisher up until this point, which he does hit it and it looks really good, especially for a guy of his size. But then he ends up winning with the power bomb, so you could see them sort of maybe transitioning towards getting the power bomb over as his finisher. But just a classic kind of big man squash match. So I went up going to star. That's like my standard. Squash match rating. He just destroys Justin Incredible as you uh, just incredible as you would expect. Um, yeah, I went a half a star, but it it mm-hmm. did what it is supposed to do. But um, well, funny thing about Justin Incredible, he um, is from this area. He's from Waterbury, Connecticut, right. which is right mm-hmm. down the road. Right down the road, he went to our uh, my high school's rival um, mm-hmm. uh, school. And um, for a while, like after he got into trouble, he was a uh, cook at a 
the Olive Garden. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't really, I didn't really meet him, but um, he has cooked for me once or twice. I was about to say, did he cook your uh, tour of Italy or something? <laughs> A couple times because my uh, my sister worked there, so she knew who he was. But yeah, I mean, this match was definitely did exactly what it was supposed to do. Right, just a squash match, drag just incredible out there. And, you know, now that you mentioned that, maybe it's because he was local. You know, they just brought him in, like called him up, and like, hey, you're around, you want to make a drive, and pay you a couple hundred bucks, get squashed yeah, by Batista. I mean, it, it, I, he even went, <laughs> when, like, when he wasn't a regular, you'd always see him in the shows in Hartford and New Haven in our area. Right. Yeah, he's got connections, too. He's got buddies, so makes sense. <laughs> Finch in high places. Uh, speaking of his friends in high places, Triple H is paranoid and heads out to the ring. He loses to Sean at Mania 14 since we are in Boston. He tells Sean that if he wants to go into the chamber and face him, it will be the last thing he does. And he is going to walk out with the title, and Sean will not walk out. So kind of just saying he's going to finish the job. He started at SummerSlam if, um, if, he, if Sean decides to show up. But it's not Sean who interrupts him. It's Booker T who comes out, takes exception. The Triple H claiming he's going to win the title. Triple H says that right now Booker T can't hold this jock. But Booker T fires back at him, says he's sick of how he walks, how he talks, and he's tired of seeing him with the belt that he was given. And he tells him that you think you run the show, but you don't run Booker T. Which I enjoyed Booker's fire here. I thought he looked pretty good, kind of stepping up to, you know, talking to the champion and that sort of thing. And then he ends it with, uh, don't hate the play, hate the game. Um, he is then interrupted. We did hear Y2J's music. Jericho comes out and starts ranting and whining about how he's not a sucker, going back to his feud with Booker T. And he says that he's going to eliminate Booker T uh, at the in the elimination chamber. And then he just starts ranting again about how he's more talented than Booker T. And then they both loom over Booker T, he and Triple H do. And they jump him. And, of course, Kane's music hits. And he comes in and cleans out uh, Jericho and Triple H to kind of end the segment and set up our tag match that's going to be happening later in the show. But I thought this was a fine, if basic, segment. The main thing to me to highlight was Booker T being elevated, and I thought he carried his weight pretty well. He didn't look out of place. I liked his um, criticism of Triple H that he didn't just kind of shy away from. He got in his face and kind of, you know, told him he was tired of him. kind of set himself up as a possible contender at the chamber, which I liked. Yeah, I, I've always liked their chemistry. I know a lot of people are very down on a future match of theirs, but mm -hmm. I think their chemistry was really good. It was a good way to um, get him bo boosted up. I mean, he's been stuck with gold. And I guess stuck is a wrong word because they've been very, they're very entertaining. And if there's one thing I remember from this area is book dust. They were one of my favorite tag teams ever. Mm -hmm. um, but Jericho, I mean, Jericho's Jericho. I mean, there's a reason why, I consider him one of the top five pro wrestlers of all time, you know, just everything. And, you know, it changes his, his, not only his character, his look. I mean, come on. How many, I mean, how many people can pull off that beard? Right. Right. Those um, pants, the yeah. vests, the whole deal. Yeah. And the juke and jive, the juke and jive. Yes. Um, yes. But, I, you know, it, it was it was a good it was a good segment. Um, the only thing that I didn't like about it is the placement, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because 
there's only one match in between that whole thing. And it's not like, it, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like, um, you know, I, I just think it should have been placed differently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do like that they've, so they're kind of done with the Katie Vick stuff. I think they've mentioned it maybe a few times in passing, but I like that they're moving away from it and uh, it kind of building the stuff up for the chamber. To me, this is a lot more interesting. I like that, you know, Booker T's in here, Jericho's in here. They're kind of starting to put across that, like the, um, like how many guys are involved in this and that any of these guys could conceivably win the title. I think it's cool because it's a good change of pace from the the trend we've gotten on, on Raw of, you know, Triple H getting a challenger, destroying them. They look like shit after like that whole pattern. I'm glad we have something to sort of break it up because I didn't want to see another month where we have Triple H going one-on-one against somebody and just kind of crushing them. I think that would have really mm-hmm. been a, a drag. So this is a nice change that I like. Yeah, um, I still think it, still, it, it would have been better as an opening segment. Yeah, I, that's where I would normally expect it. Uh, this usually when they would do this sort of thing. Uh, we then quickly head to Stacy, who is looking at uh, tests can, uh, as we can imagine is getting his haircut. We don't see it yet, but she says that the testicles are growing. And then we hit where he's going to have a match against the hurricane. He comes out revealing his new look, which he has the short hair now and also the short trunks, not the kind of baggy. I would call them like the diesel trunks, the diesel tights or whatever, the kind of baggy ones. He now has the short ones. Uh, they do a pretty standard big guy, little guy dynamic, but I think Hurricane helps in that he uh, he always brings out cool stuff in his matches. Like even in this kind of short, pretty basic match with Tess, he always brings in cool counters and stuff. Like in this one, he twisted out of the power bomb in a pretty cool spot. He slides out of the pump handle, so it's kind of like Tess is going for all these power moves, and Hurricane uh, finds sneaky ways to slide out. He just always finds a way to make what could easily be a very forgettable match. He adds a few little details in there to make it interesting. And um, I don't know, you could you could tell he cares about even these short matches that like he could easily go in there and just do whatever. But he always adds some cool creative stuff. So I appreciate Hurricane for that. But he does end up getting caught uh, in tre- uh, Tess nails him with like a twisting reverse DDT, which I guess is supposed to be Tess's new finishing move uh, here. But I went two stars. Like I said, this easily could have been lower, but I kind of like the hurricane made it more interesting than it probably had any right to be. I want to start a half. Uh, I mean, I get what they're trying to do with tests. I mean, maybe, maybe it's tough because I'm watching tests in, in my other podcast with the uh, extreme resurrection. Right. And, you know, it's just the same thing week after week after week. They're not really doing much with them. And here, I mean, I, I know that they changed his look and all that, but, you know, maybe if I'd watched a few weeks before to see where Hurricane is, I, I thought Hurricane was the wrong person for this, but you've been watching consistently, so you might have a better um, idea of that. Um, I just wish they used somebody else, but you are right about Hurricane. You know, he he's good in the big guy match in the, you know, the, the different counters and stuff. Um, but I was kind of disappointed that it was Hurricane. But again, I mean, where where was he being used at this point? Right. Yeah. Hurricane is he's kind of just been Kane's sidekick recently once now that he's moved to Raw. But otherwise, yeah. And Tess is weird in that I kind of he's always fine and I kind of like him in matches. OK, and he has these moments where he kind of shines, but he never really does enough to like I, I don't see him ever getting past this. 
and maybe it's because I know he doesn't, but he just doesn't kind of. I think he's fine where he's at, though. It's I think it's okay if he's like this, and I know he's a big guy and he has a good look, and they kind of want to roll with that. But I just don't know if he has all that. Like I don't think he's ever going to be like a Brock or something like that, you know. Which I feel like that's what they want from him. They want him to be like a Batista or a Brock or one of these guys, and I just don't know if he's got everything to be that. No, but he does have face. I, I think. <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. Yeah, he does have say. I was just about to say that. <laughs> Who has an announcement? She encourages him with a kiss to say which uh, to say the line. He's reluctant, but after she kisses him, he says, "I love my testicles." So maybe this will get him over, Mike. Well, <laughs> yeah, or not. That, <laughs> well, maybe in uh, 2002. All right, we get a glimpse at the Elimination Chamber. We get kind of a graphic of it quickly. We don't get a full, not really super clear what it is, but it sort of shows that it would look uh, like some kind of domed cage, like a like a Thunderdome, for lack of a better term. Almost like kind of looks like a souped-up version of the, the Thunderdome cage from WCW, honestly. Yeah, I mean, I was really intrigued by this. I And mm-hmm. I do remember these segments and, and being so, what is this thing? What What is it? Um and you know who knew that it would turn into something huge yeah like a yeah like one of their mainstays like on the same level as the cell yeah that's right all right now this next thing just seemed like such a like we need to kill like three or four minutes they just play like and i guess they're plugging this album or whatever of like these original songs based around the superstars that are not their theme songs but we get this just montage of chris jericho clips set to this uh chris jericho saliva song from the this album that they released but it was a pretty the song was pretty cheesy it was something it was just like them like saliva singing about like breaking down walls or something or you know pretty generic stuff and just i mean it was cool clips of jericho but it it felt 100 percent like filler here now when did they lock the when did the they do the draft and when did they switch brands and all that wasn't that recently? Yeah, so the original draft is in March. Now, we did have the recent reboot with Stephanie and Eric taking over, which has only been the last few months. But uh, the draft is right after Mania 18. Now, did did was was Jericho over on SmackDown before, or was he on Raw? I can't even remember. <sighs> Honestly, I don't know if I can either. I think he's been <laughs> on Raw the entire time, but they've kind of bop people around so much but i want to say he's been no actually no he started on smackdown now that i think about it he was on smackdown and now he's back on raw now because the way second. the way i interpreted it besides that is they were almost like a raw introduction you know like a you know in case you don't know um type of that's the way i perceived it but i yeah. wasn't sure the timeline now nah, he's been he's been on raw for a good while now he's the last few pay-per-views he's like, I would say the majority of the time I've done the pod, I feel like he's been on Raw. So it wasn't that. I think they were just, like, trying to do a commercial for this album and kill, like, kill two birds with one stone. Like, run a commercial for this album they're putting out and then also just kill three or four minutes because I honestly think sometimes on Raw they don't know what to do with the time. It's very meandering. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, really and imagine if it was three hours then. Right. All right, after his montage, he tells Christian to take out RVD 
because he's going to take him out in the chamber. And he says, Christian says that if he can uh, beat RVD, he'll be in the chamber and he might even win the title. And Jericho says, yeah, no, but you'd only be in the chamber to help. And then Christian again says, no, it's so he can become the champion. And they start bickering and arguing over this. We then head to more at the F view camera where you see the triple H, uh, uh, triple H is warning gets warned about HBK warns uh, Jericho about HBK. I should say Jericho says that uh, HBK is triple H's problem. Triple H then says, well, he's going to be your problem too in the match tonight. And then as they walk away, we see that Sean has been behind them the whole time lurking and listening to their conversation. So just some kind of silly bickering back and forth between Jericho and Christian. And then, you know, trying to get across uh, Sean's presence on the show. Hey, he's not a sucker. <laughs> he's not a sucker. He has told us that many, many. He's told us that again and again and again and again, as he says. <laughs> All right. All right, we'll head to the match between RVD and Christian. So I think they said the stipulation on this is, I don't remember that well because I know RVD is going to be in the chamber, but they do say, I think that if Christian wins, he can be in the chamber, maybe or take a spot. I'm not really sure. But anyway, Rob is all over him from the beginning with the kicks until he ends up hitting the barricade on the diving kick, which is a sick bump. He takes it pretty, pretty rough there um, right on his leg. Christian works with mostly some holes and chokes when he's on top. Rob starts to make his comeback. They kind of botch the knees up on the Rolling Thunder, which is a common spot people do to RVD to counter him. But it's like he goes to do it, but he only Christian only hits him with the feet, so it doesn't look super great because he didn't hit his knees at all. Christian gets back on offense, and I was not impressed by Christian in his offensive segments in this. He looked a little meandering. Like I said, there was a lot of kind of weak holds and chokes and stuff. He just felt like he was killing time a little bit until RVD got back on offense. Um but he did do a good job of taking RVD's offense pretty well. I thought he bumped pretty well for him. I just thought his offense was lackluster. Um, he gets frustrated, goes for the chair. The ref ends up taking the chair from him. While all that's happening, RVD able, is able to hit him, jump up top, and hit the five-star to end it. Uh, pretty standard match here. I thought Rob looked good. But again, I Christian stuff did not impress me too much. It was just a pretty straightforward match to kind of make RVD build him up as we get towards the chamber and – like I said, uh, continue to build him up after he's been a little on a little bit of a cold streak after that Triple H feud. But I, I went two and a quarter on a mic. I thought it was okay. That's exactly what I went on it. Um, and, I, I mean, I can almost mirror your thoughts. Uh, you know, you would expect, like, a, you know, these guys, that they would have a great, phenomenal match. And it was just there. Um, yeah, and that was one of the things I noticed, too, with, with the spot. Um, I thought that, you know, they totally botched that one. Uh, but again, how many times has that move been botched? Uh, probably quite a bit. But, uh, you know, RVD, you know, was just prime in this area, in, in this era. I mean, people wanted him. You know, it was just mm -hmm. from the time he came into WWE, like he was, you know, besides Rock and Austin, he was the man that the fans wanted. Um and I kind of like, I mean, I, I do like Christian, but I think he could have been a little bit better in this match. Right. I think you, I feel like I, I'm getting that he's still trying to find his way as a singles guy. I think almost like knowing where his career goes and how he becomes a, a pretty good, a really good singles guy later on. I think in this era, I've noticed he's just, I think he's still trying to find his way on how to work a singles match and like what he does on offense and stuff. 
Like, I think I just take for granted sometimes that he's just good because how good he becomes. But I think he's still feeling it out a bit. And I think you kind of see it in these matches. Well, something that I've always heard JT always say is that he needed a new look. And mm-hmm. he his music changed fine. But the only thing he changed was his look was that hat. Right. You know? He really, you know, when he turned heel, he really needed to change it up. And he really didn't. So I think that's also part of it. It might not be. And, and again, like I said earlier about hindsight's twenty twenty, it's maybe because we know what he's become. And you're watching this mm-hmm. back and it's like, this isn't Christian. You know, we remember most of us remember Christian in the the tag team Dudley's. Edge and Christian Hardys, you know, those type of matches. And then the Christian, you know, with, you know, his feud with Orton and Del Rio right. and, and all mm-hmm. that. And that kind of in between, it's almost, it's, he's in limbo, you know, and I, right. and I think it took him leaving and coming back to really, you know, find out how really, um, underrated he was. Right. Yeah, I agree. He hasn't been so good. And I'm not a fan of his look here either. Like, even when he switches, he's gotten rid of the mesh shirt thing, but he's doing these, like, red, this, like, red singlet thing that doesn't look great. I don't know. Yeah, it's it'll be, it'll be cool to pinpoint when he starts to kind of be more in the upswing. It may not be, like you said, till he leaves and comes back. I don't know. But uh, we head to another guy who's underwhelmed me, and that's Chris Nowinski. Um, I, I just realized, because I have in my notes, Nowinski. And it just, I don't know why I never realized that he's the, the same name as Dirk Nowinski. But anyway, it just made me think <laughs> when I had Nowinski in my notes, I thought of Dirk Nowinski. But anyway. Um, uh, anyway, uh, Nowinski is excited to be back near Harvard, but the town is going down the gutter. He trolls, the fam- he trolls a lot of famous Boston icons like uh, Larry Bird until... Um, Al Snow interrupts him. Of course, he and Al Snow have a uh, a weird like mentor mentee rivalry thing going on. But as he is dealing with Al Snow, Maven makes his triumphant return and sneaks up and attacks uh, Nowinski. So a feud based on tough enough. Um, just you know, not anything to get too excited about. And I definitely feel by this point, not that the audience, I think the general audience would know this because people are not as tuned into this stuff. Maybe as they are now with guys coming from like NXT or something, but you could definitely see a, a clear disconnect between the OVW guys that they're bringing in and these tough enough guys. Like it just seems like the tough enough guys cannot separate themselves from tough enough. Yeah. And it doesn't help the booking that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Christopher Nowinski, he had, I mean, he could have been it. I mean, he did have the look, I mean, even the gimmick, he played it. He played it much better than, in my opinion, than say a Matt Stryker or a Dean Douglas. I think he played the gimmick well, um, but it just—I don't know if they were tend- if if he had already started with the concussion issues at this time, because um, mm-hmm. um, I know he had multiple. So I don't know if it's something like like that. But I, I think he would have been better off at this time, you know, if he was a manager. Because it just didn't seem like he he was going to get into it in the ring, like smooth. Right. Yeah. It's he's looked okay in the ring, but yeah, never really put together anything 
like I just never seen him really do a full match yet. No, I'm not really sure. Maybe they just don't feel like he's ready for it. I don't know. But it's just I think he and Maven is not, you know, pairing them together because it's tough enough is just I don't think it's going to do much good for either guy, unfortunately. Maven had his rumble run, and that should have been it. <laughs> right. How long has Maven been around? He's still just – he's still saddled with, like, tough enough stuff. It's like they can't break away from that to do anything else, and it's like a, it's like an anchor. It's like – I mean, how much more of a rub can you get than, than Undertaker, him knocking out Undertaker? Right. Yeah. Anyway. All right, we'll move on. We have Goldust. He's uh, hyping up Kane backstage. Kane's kind of reluctant. He's not feeling it. Booker reasons with him and kind of hypes Kane up by saying, this is the guy who made a video about you having sex with a dead body. You need to get revenge on him. And then uh, Kane kind of seems a little more hyped up. He walks out of frame, and Goldust and Booker T start to talk, and Kane runs back into frame and does the sucker. So we get maybe they're trying to get back into the the kind of fun-loving, goofy cane that they were rolling with before the Triple H feud. I don't know. Maybe they're trying to break that back. That's sort of what I got from this promo, Mike. Um, well, first of all, gold dust is gold. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just yeah. that whole thing when they said, who would ever have, you know, sex with a, with a dead person? Man, and, you know, when I was young and stupid. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. just, I mean, Goldust is awesome, and you know I kind of like the little goofy cane, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I think I think it was it was a good se- it, it was a very good seg- segment, and to me it was one of the best on the show. Yeah, they're always fun. Goldust is always entertaining. He's always got fun lines, and he's great delivery too. He is like he always nails everything. Um, well, that we're now hyped up for our main event uh, tag team match, which is going to be Jericho and Triple H versus Booker T and Kane. So kind of throwing a few guys who are going to be involved in the Elimination Chamber all together in a tag match based on kind of heel face lines. Booker T starts us out and plays the, the face role well, as usual, kind of firing up on offense. Kane bails him out, but Jericho sneaked the chair shot into the corner. Um Great energy from Jericho in this match, too. I find he always brings it in these kind of longer TV main event matches. I've seen a lot of good ones doing the pod. Like, he just kind of knows how to – he always brings it. Like, he's never low energy or plotting or anything. He um, he kind of has that Eddie, like the SmackDown 6 energy, even though he's, you know, on Raw, which I always like about him. But uh, they kind of focus their attack now, uh, the heels do. Uh, but Kane is able to land a side slam that gets him a bit of a breather. The crowd is tepid for this, though, as they have been for a lot of these Triple H main events on TV, just not into it throughout this Kane and Triple H feud. Kane reverses a double-team suplex that gets a little bit of a pop from the crowd. He finally hits a hot tag to Booker, who gets a nice shine. I always like Booker's hot tags. I say it all the time. He comes in with the flurry of kicks. Triple H goes, uh, comes back in, kind of cuts him off, goes for the pedigree, and here comes Sean to cut everything off. But... Earl is disoriented outside of the ring, getting dis- distracted by uh, Jericho. So Booker T is able to get the cover off of Sean's super kick. Um, so I thought, and I should say, they focused, when they focused on the leg, I thought it was kind of interesting when Jericho and Triple H did, but they didn't really go anywhere or mean much to the match. I liked, the highlight for me was Booker T and Jericho. I thought they brought the most energy in their spots, were like the highlights of the match. 
but overall, the match felt a little bit flat, like they couldn't get the crowd going into it. So I thought it was a well-done match overall structure-wise, but it never really elevated anything past like decent or good to me. Like there, put it this way, nothing past solid. So I went right down the middle with a two and a half, Mike. Um, I went two and three quarters. Uh, I personally liked the match. Um, I I love Booker T and Jericho also. Um, and maybe it was just a fan in me. I never was really disgusted by the whole by you know Triple H's dominance. Uh, mm-hmm. I always looked at it this way: Hogan did it for how many years? Mm-hmm. Ultimate. I mean, after that, Warrior did it for a year. Diesel did it for a year. Rock and Austin were basically so. So I, I, I really never got the whole Triple H hate. Uh, but I, I don't think, you know, he was the best at, that he could be in this match. Um, and, and the Kane feud with him, it was running a little long. Um, obviously, if they didn't have the whole Katie Vick thing, I think it could have been a lot better. But I, I really think that Booker and Jericho's presence really boosted it, boosted it up. Uh, uh, I would have liked to see more, um, you know, maybe because this close to the chamber, uh, maybe, you know, Jericho showing signs of, you know, turning on, on Triple H too. But, you know, it was, it was still, it was still very good. Right. I was a little bit like, I don't know, if Sean keeps doing these run-ins, it's kind of, I don't know, does that make Booker T and Kane look kind of goofy? But I guess that is the heart of, you know, the feud here is, you know, Triple H and Shawn Michaels is the, the real core of this chamber match and everybody else is sort of ancillary. You just want to make them look decent. So I guess it's okay in that sense, but I could see an argument how, you know, maybe it makes the other guys look a little goofy. That Sean's just able, like Sean's the only one who can get up on Triple H, like get anything over on him. So I could see that critique, but overall, I thought it was fine. I agree. I thought Booker T and Jericho kind of carried it. But, uh, but speaking but of Sean, you, mm-hmm, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, you notice though that four of these guys are very major influences coming up in a major pay per view. Right. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was good in that way that you have, you know, pretty much every guy who's going to be involved in this is seen here except for rvd so I, I did think that was pretty true yeah i like that whole dynamic and i don't mind sean being like costing triple h to match because it kind of makes sense it is a good spot for booker to get the cover you know i mean he's still getting the cover so it's like he looks that weak but it definitely puts the spotlight on the sean and hbk stuff but it's hard to argue that it shouldn't be i guess so i'm fine with it um but speaking of him uh sean he shouts out boston and says good night but before he leaves, he says, wait a second, there's something he needs to answer as he's been asked if he's going to be at Survivor Series. And he confirms that he will be there and that he will walk out of Madison Square Garden as the champ, which gets a huge reaction from the crowd, which is something in Sean's, you know, his moments, the crowd does pop for him. Even this match was a little bit tepid when Sean comes out and he makes this announcement, the crowd kind of gets behind him. So that was kind of a bright spot. But that's how we end the show, Mike. Um with Sean announcing that he will be at the chamber, which, you know, no big shock there. Uh, all right, so we'll get into our overall show thoughts after that ending. 
So I thought it was a bit of a blah show, like, um, but at the same time, the the run that Raw's been on, a lot of the shows have been more actively bad. I thought this one was just kind of okay, like nothing too bad, but also nothing real great, just kind of solid, some decent matches, built up the chamber pretty well, uh, but still a lot of like meandering on the undercard on Raw, like I just don't know. You just get a lot of empty matches that I don't feel like are accomplishing much, like the three-minute warning and and Jeff and Bubba. There's just a lot of stuff that gets thrown in there. But I did think it's one of the better Raws I've seen recently. So I went right down the middle, five out of ten, like an average show. I'm going to have to show you my picture because I have five also. Um, gotcha. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it it wasn't great, but it wasn't awful. Uh, mm-hmm. um, and it's funny because I went back and looked at reviews that other people have done. And it's amazing because one review I looked at, like, like they did letter grades and every single match was a D minus. And I'm like, that's kind of unfair. You know, like, yeah, you know, the way they're acting like it was the worst show ever. And I, I don't think so. Yeah, there could have been things differently, you know, that that went that went different. But I, they they covered their main feud, which is one of their main things. As long as as long as that main feud that Sean triple h with with the chamber i mean they in everybody else was inserted in you know into whatever feud or whatever for for the chamber uh it was included so nobody was forgotten you know so so they did that well uh and it's almost like it was a holdover show for to get to get us up to survivor series and i think they did well with that overall um, even though the Trish Ivory match wasn't that great, but the segment after, you know, boosted up that, uh, you know, they did well on debuting Batista, you know, so I, I really think that it, it did its job, but just that's all it did was did its job. All right. With that, we will move to the, uh, November 7th, 2002 SmackDown. Uh, to start us off, we get kind of a cold open recapping show's recent reign of terror and destruction as he has moved to SmackDown. And then after that, we go straight into a match as we typically do on SmackDown. It's going to be Tori and Kidman versus Noble and Nitty. I should mention, I forgot to say, I think this is in, um, I didn't catch the town, Mike, but I think they said it was in New Hampshire, maybe Manchester. Am I yes. right? Yep. Yeah, which, so. which is, I'm going to say a little over an hour north of Boston. Hmm. You're right in the middle of both these shows, Mike. <laughs> you're like right in the you're right in the wheelhouse. Well, it's, a, it's like a triangle. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> true. Uh, but anyway, we're gonna have Tori Kidman versus Noble and Nidia, which is a kind of a little semi feud that's been going on. Like we've sort of seen this match before. Uh, so they're doing this by uh, mixed tag rules, meaning the women are only supposed to fight the women and the men fight the men. So quick back and forth from Noble and Kidman to start us off. Nidia gets some shots at on Kidman, but Tori heads in and goes after. Tori kind of does some pretty basic stuff. She hits her signature Tori move, which is the neck breaker. That looks pretty good, um, I'll admit. Things kind of kind of grind down a little bit. And, and, Noble clotheslines Tori, which gets some big heat from the crowd. He kind of sneaks behind the rest back and lays a pretty big clothesline on her. Kidman fly, flies in, but Noble is all over him. We get a, um, a cool double reversal by Tori and Kidman. I thought it was a nice spot. And then Kidman ends up hitting the Bulldog on Noble. Real good pace to this one. I thought they did pretty well with the tagging out, especially for a mixed tag, which could get a little messy sometimes. I think they got into a nice flow with it as far as like, 
when the women came in, when the men came in, and how they hit all their spots. But anyway, uh, Kidman, after he hits the Bulldog, is able to hit the shooting star and win it and actually pins the champ, which they call it on commentary. So maybe possibly sets Kidman up for a title shot finally. But real fun match. Um, I'm cool with this, but I'm ready for Noble to get into. And I know the the Noble and Nidia stuff is fun and putting them against in these mixed tags works okay. And I thought they did a good job in this one. But I'm ready for Noble to sink his teeth into a straight up feud. Maybe hopefully a straight up feud with Kidman would be fine. That leads to a title, another title match or something. But as it was, I went two and a quarter. I thought this was a fun little opener, Mike. I went two and a half. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. it was hot action nonstop. I mean, it was just from the get go. Get going. I mean, that clothesline on Tori was was pretty brutal. Um, I've always liked Noble and Nidia, and I loved, you know, their segments together, you know, how they started out and everything, and, and I really liked them together. I mean, besides David Flair, who's the bigger salesman than Billy Kidman? <laughs> I mean, to be married mm-hmm. to Tori Wilson, you know. Right. But anyway, you know. Um, there's one thing I did notice though, and I is you ever notice that Kidman's shooting star press seems very slow, like yeah, yeah. It just it I don't even know how he does. Like it just it seems it seems much different from other ones. It just seems mm-hmm. it's like almost slow motion, and I I, yeah. I just don't know how to you know how he does it. That's how it's just yeah. He gets snap. some he I gets mean, some it, good hang time, but it it. You know, everything hit in this match. I, there was really no downtime. Um, nothing nothing bad about it. And, you know, like I said, two and a half stars for me. Yeah, good match, good opener. Typical of, um, you know, Kidman and Noble can break, especially Noble. He's like, he kind of has a pretty high floor, I think. Like, he's always good for a solid match. I've enjoyed he, him on SmackDown. And the character stuff is great, too. And I thought they mixed the, the women's spots in very good. Uh, all right, we go backstage. Big Show is intimidating a security guard, so continuing to be big bag. Big bad Big Show. Say that uh, three times fast. <laughs> uh, we then head to Tori, who is speaking with her dad, Al Wilson. Al tells her that he's been lonely since he divorced Tori's mom. And he's going to do something. He hopes that she understands. She obviously looks very concerned. And he is just... He's so awkward on the mic. Like, he cracks me up. Just the way he speaks is so, like, he doesn't speak in, like, a normal human cadence when he speaks. He's, he's a very strange man on these in these promos. But he's obviously got some up his sleeve when it comes to Dawn Marie. We can see yeah. Mike. But, you know, no one could have told him, look at Tori. Don't look at the cue card the entire time. <laughs> Right, right. I mean, you so could, awkward. He, you could see in every segment he's in, and this is one thing I do remember about Al Wilson was he was never looking at anybody. He was looking <laughs> away. I mean, at least True. attempt to memorize it. Right, and then like he, it's like he's trying to act. He's like trying to do what he thinks actors do, which is like pause in different spots, but he don't just pause in like weird random spots, like a Tory. I have to tell you something. Yeah. Like, you know, it's weird, great value, William Shatner or something. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> and he, and he speaks so, uh, like he, he, talk, he talks in this very low, like, grumble voice. I don't know. He's, he's strange anytime he's on. He looks like he's just not, he, like, he does not fit into this world. Like, he was dropped here from somewhere else and he's just lost. 
poor old man that's lost they, in this they, world they of wrestling. Someone, they literally <laughs> picked someone off the street like, and just said, here, right. let's, let's try this. All right. Well, we'll see what Al's scheming up a little bit later. But we then head to Funaki, who was speaking to John Cena, and he raps. So we have rapping Cena. Here we go. Basically, coming off the Halloween special, he raps. I didn't write down everything he raps, but it was pretty good. Like, I thought his rap was pretty good. He, uh, he's called out Rikishi. Uh, the line I caught that I uh, noted was that he says, Rikishi's a lost member of the Fat Boys, which I thought was a yes. good one. Yeah, but it was a pretty good rap. He had some good lines in here. That was my favorite. Uh, Rikishi comes in, does his own rap, which honestly was not as good as Cena's. It was a lot more corny. He just, it was a lot of like, oh, uh, well, I'm going to beat you up my ass or something. like. But it was much more generic than Cena's. Cena had some much more clever lines in there. But, you know, it's making him interesting. He was very generic before. This is at least giving him something that makes him memorable and not just a generic jacked up dude, which is good. Yeah, I mean, I, I I like the segment and definitely the start of something big with Cena. And you and it, I mean, I might be wrong, but it just you can almost tell that one was kind of freestyled the way how quickly he said it and mm-hmm. came up with it. And it almost seemed like Rikishi's was rehearsed. Yeah, yeah, Rikishi's was kind of corny. Like if we, if we were to say who won the battle, I'd give it to Cena. Oh, hands down. Easily. All right, we now see that Stephanie, just like Eric was on uh, Raw, she's re-watching the tape of the Eric Bischoff kick, kiss. When the Guerreros walk in, she looks a little embarrassed and her just shuts it off like she got caught watching a dirty movie or something. But uh, they walk up with their normal swagger. They call it the, uh, the Patroncita, which I, I believe means a boss or some, like, something similar to a boss. Uh, they call it Mamacita at first, I should say, but then they switch to Patroncita. But uh, Eddie lobbies for them to fight for the titles. He gets down on his knees and begs, gets really dramatic over the top Eddie. Stephanie says that they might get their shot at the big Super Tuesday, which our first mention of that, which is going to be a special that's going to air on UPN next Tuesday. And she said they might have a shot at the titles then. But tonight, if Eddie wants to have, um, wants to be fighting for, uh, wants to be in any kind of title pitcher, he can face Brock tonight in a non-title match. So he will face the WWE champion. He looks very nervous at this fact, but then Chavo hypes him up, and Eddie kind of hypes himself up to be ready for the match. So um, pretty big match on paper, considering the history that's going to follow with these two guys. But they're, I believe, first meeting. I don't think I, that they had a match before. No, I looked, I looked that up. Yeah, that was their first first meeting together. Um, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but... It's things of signs of things to come, right? And then we will, um, but yeah, I thought Eddie was real entertaining in this too, as he usually is in all these backs, like just the dramatic begging on his knees and talking to Stephanie and you know, trying to charm her and all that. I thought was fun. I love this era of Eddie, right? He's great. All right, we now go to Rikishi versus Cena, which uh, you know, we just talked about their rap battle. So Cena gets frustrated early by Rikishi's power. He can't get any kind of advantage, so he kind of bails out and regroups. Uh, there's, they, you notice throughout it was one of the notable things this match is working in some more goofy spots for Cena, like um, as a, like before he was sort of just a straight up baby face, working normal, almost honestly like a, like he'd be like a Kidman or something, maybe more of a a little bit more power, but that sort of style, just straight up baby face. And now that they've they're going with this rapper thing, you could see like he does the spot where he goes to punch Rikishi in the butt, 
and he acts yeah. like his butt is a rock, like almost like the uh, Samoa head thing. So like working in some goofier comedy stuff with Cena to kind of go with his new character. Uh, he comes back, hits a nice missile drop kick, I thought, which is maybe his best move of this entire match. Uh, but right back to Rikishi on offense, who lays in the stink face, and then it does the bonsai drop to beat Cena pretty handily. So we see here, I would have started in the match. It was not a whole lot going on with this one. It was honestly almost a squash. Cena didn't get a whole lot in this one. Rikishi controlled it pretty well. So we're seeing that they are given the personality, the character, but he certainly it's not leading to any kind of mega push as he loses pretty you know, pretty cleanly to Rikishi. I mean, Rikishi is over like Rover here. Always yeah. has been, always will. You know, you hear that music and everyone's going to pop. Even today, you know, even if it was a whole bunch of people that weren't around for the Attitude Era in this era, if they hear that music, they're going to pop. And, you know, the only thing about this match that I, I was kind of disappointed with um was why squash Cena? And, you know, you're starting it up, and I don't kind of remember how his cycle goes before he gets into other, you know, another major feud coming up. Um, but unless they're going to do something with, you know, that turns his losses into something, why squash him here? Um, I, I mean, I only gave it, I gave it a, only a star and a half uh, because I did like. You know, like you said, the comedy spots and punching, you know, Rikishi's ass and, you know, doing that. And and some of his moves were pretty good. But I just wish that they didn't squash him. Yeah, it's a weird. It's I don't know. Obviously, it's one of the more, you know, he's one of the biggest guys ever. But just seeing doing this spot of seeing his trajectory. But I was a little surprised because I thought when he came out and he had the rap, it's like, okay, well, maybe he's going to get, not like he's going to come and start dominating like he's Brock Lesnar, but I did think it would lead to a little bit more of a, or even if he loses in this, he looks a little more formidable, but but he got pretty beat down. Like he had a few I, moves, but he got handled. I, I was looking for a roll up, holding the tights, holding the ropes or something like that. That's what I thought was going to happen. But look, I can tell you, Mike, on SmackDown, not a lot of people beat Rikishi. That dude's pretty protected. Like he's, uh, for whatever reason, they don't let Rikishi lose often. No, but like I said, he was so over. Yeah, he does the dance after. Yeah, it's all, yeah, it's still, he's there. He's, crowd still loves him. All right. So we go to, uh, honestly, I was thinking of him as we were talking about Cena, because this could be, they may be going in the same direction as the Matt Hardy thing, where Matt Hardy's kind of had this character, you know, been building this pretty interesting character with the Matt, Her- Matt Hardy version 1.0, but he hasn't really translated to the ring. He hasn't been one in a ton of matches. He mostly loses, so maybe they're going in that direction. Uh, but on the subject of Matt, he lectures his student, uh, Shannon Moore, his MFer, as he calls him, Matt Follower, not motherfucker, on eating sugar, tells him that it's not good for him. He should not be eating sugar. And he wants to, he tells young Shannon to watch him as he confronts the champ. Um, we then head to Al Snow speaking with, sorry, not Al Snow, Al Wilson. <laughs> sorry, I said Al, and Al Snow on the brain from Raw. Al Wilson speaks with Don, who questions if he, um, if he wants to ask that question. Al insists that he soul searched and that he will ask the question tonight. They cut back to back, cut back to Matt, who tells Heyman that he will soften up the big show for Brock. Heyman thanks him, and Heyman shares with Brock the news. And Brock says he doesn't need Matt to soften him up. He wants big show for himself. 
And we then see some more strife between them as Brock feels that Heyman is trying to control him and doesn't kind of have the confidence that Brock thinks. And Heyman thinks that Brock is too much of a hothead and getting himself is not protecting himself well enough. So a continuing sort of strife between these two guys. So um, any thoughts on all of these before we get to Al walking down the aisle? Al, 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 Al. I can't believe on how many minutes they spent on Al Wilson. (laughs) <laughs> I, I I just don't. <laughs> Any thoughts on uh, Matt Hardy, Matt Hardy uh, lecturing Shannon Moore? Well, I like it. It's establishing his new character. Um, and when we get to the match, you'll hear my thoughts about where the difference between this and Cena's new character. Gotcha. Right. So before we get to that, let's talk about Al and his question. So Al walks down to the ring with absolutely no reaction. Even Taz mentions he's like, he makes like a comment. He's like, man, uh, the crowd's popping for Al. <laughs> no one cares. Like he gets They the trashed makes... him so bad. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. Um, he then gets in the ring. He grabs the mic. He says, 25 years ago, he was blessed with an angel, Tori. But he's met another angel, which is a weird thing to give the same name to, you know, your daughter and the chick you're banging but anyway uh taz is cracking up through this whole thing he says that al sounds like kermit the frog uh as dawn walks down to the ring um they mention how hot dawn's looking dawn has made him feel very strong sexy and virile and then he asks her to marry him she paces around the ring kind of pondering the question (laughs) he then as she's thinking he says that if she doesn't say yes he'll kill himself which is a ridiculous line and then he said she ends up saying yes, which gets a massive heel heat from the crowd. The crowd boos the shit out of him. Uh, but yeah, uh, he is engaged to Dawn Marie. What a segment! I mean, even, <laughs> even Taz and Cole were like, "Say no, say no." I mean, right. they were trashing him. One, I don't know how they're able to do it. How McMahon, how they got away with that, and I don't know if it was just a rib and they just said, "Screw it, this is so bad, we're just." They they cut right. their losses. And let's, let's just continue to trash it. But the other thing is that line, I'll kill my... I cannot believe that's still on Peacock. I am just <laughs> shocked. It was um, just so... It just so his, like, his awkward delivery, his awkward delivery just like, uh, if you don't, you know, if you don't, I don't know what I'll do. I'll kill myself. And, but you, you also notice too, I mean, when you hear, I have that question and they keep doing that, I was waiting for a swerve. I was waiting for a different kind of stupid question. So I was almost disappointed when he said, right. and I remember him doing it, but I'm like, oh, well, you know, the way they're saying it, you kind of figured, you know, this is wrestling. It's going to be something yeah. stupid after this. But like it wasn't. Ob- no, I did same thing. I thought it was like too obvious that that's what he would be asking. Um, but, you know, the segment went on, I think it was like six minutes which was seven minutes too long. Right. Um, I enjoyed it just for like the absurd, like Taz and like, especially Taz just like trolled him the whole time. saying he sounds like Kermit. He said something too, like, does he have some kind of rash on his face or something like that? Which popped me. (laughs) He's like, Oh, here comes Mr. Charisma. Yeah. (laughs) That, that only made, that was the only way that made that segment watchable. Right. So we'll see where this heads in the future. Cause um, as we're about to see, Tori's very upset. Um, and we also see backstage Big Show 
heads is heading out to the ring in his terrible low tank top and carpenter pants that his look is just horrible but we'll get to that in a second when he actually um comes to the ring but um yeah he uh he heads to the ring terrible look the tank top goes like down to his belly button he's got those horrible jeans on I mean, I think he's looked okay as far as a threat and then building him back up. But, God, the look is horrible. I cannot stand his look. He does not look like a man who should be in a title feud with Brock Lesnar. Like, he just looks like a slob. I don't know. Uh, our Matt facts here is uh, it's going to be Matt versus Big Show. Is that Matt hates cold weather and he got a 1330 on his SATs. So, there's your Matt facts. Uh, of course, the match is exactly what you expect. Matt just gets thrown around. He gets hit with a backbreaker, a bear hug, and then show wins with a choke slam. Matt gets little to no offense in this. Um, I thought he did a good job of uh, selling all of Big Show's offense and, and bumping around for him. Uh, again, I thought it was fine to build up Big Show, continue to make him look like a threat. I would have starred on it for just a typical squash match, but I just don't think his look just does not look like title contender to me like i just can't i can't get over it that they put him out there in those stupid jeans like uh, i don't get it i mean i get it he probably would look terrible in his normal gear because he was kind of out of shape but just man those baggy jeans are bad well this was right around the time that i guess that he just came back from um whatever clinic they they sent him and you know, they're famous for sending, like, um, Yokozuna like and all those Duke, guys. The Duke Clinic or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, see, now, originally I gave this a dud. And I wrote on my notes, why Matt? But then I thought about it, you know, between the Cena. And where I think this is different, and, and I upped it to a star. Um, because if they didn't have the segment before with Matt saying, hey, watch young student and all that i think this squash is even better like i, I then mm-hmm. i then i appreciate it more um because it's almost like you know because he's a heel and you know watch me and all that you know and he gets killed mm-hmm. you know type type of deal so if they didn't have that segment 100 percent of done just crap why matt you give him a new character but i i think with that segment saved it a little bit and it will lead into something later on. Right. Yeah. This whole character is his illusion. And he's also, you could kind of protect him a bit too, because he probably shouldn't be beating big show anyway. Like, like when you have Cena and Rikisha, like Cena's a huge jacked up guy. Like he should easily be able to compete with Rikishi, even if Rikishi is big. Like Matt is, you know, big show is a monster compared to Matt Hardy. So it's, I think it doesn't hurt him that much. Plus his character He's supposed to be delusional and think he can go in there and fight a giant. Like, I agree with you. I don't think it hurts him. I think the way his character is, if you want to build him up, just have him win some matches and he'll just gloat more. Like, he's gloating even though he doesn't win anything. So all you have to do is have him win a few matches and then he's really going to be, like, full of himself. So I, I agree with you. But Cena looks a lot more impressive physically. It's not really his character that he's delusional. We'll see where they go with him. Maybe it's, you know... I, I don't know when Cena's going to pick up steam and maybe get some wins, but I agree with you. It's a totally different sort of a vibe here with Matt. Yeah, that's why I changed my that's why I changed my idea right. about that. And it does kind of fit his whole like constantly trying to impress Heyman sort of thing that he's like, no, I'm going to go face Big Show, and then he just gets beat up. That's like been going on 
his entire run on SmackDown is him trying to affiliate with Brock and just constantly failing. Mm-hmm. But uh, show grabs the mic after he says he's always been the next big thing and he will be the next TV champ. And we see Brock backstage who has been watching and he takes the TV he's been watching on and throws in anger and smashes the TV. So uh, kind of building what Heyman's been saying about Brock, that Brock's a little bit too much of a loose cannon. So they're really trying to get that across. And Heyman's in shock when he throws the TV because it's Heyman becoming more and more concerned that Brock can't control himself. It was and a of very course it was, it's, it, <laughs> yeah go ahead. No, it was a, it was a very good segment. I thought. Yeah, yeah. Well, a massive TV too, old school like <laughs> CRTV. Uh, anyway, all right. We now head to um, probably our market, not our main event, but easily the marquee match on this show, which is going to be uh, for the SmackDown. Well, they're not calling it the Smack. It's a weird thing because we have tag titles on Raw, but these are the Smack. They don't call these the SmackDown titles. They're calling the WWE title. Like, there's really no name difference between the two tag belts. It's it's a weird. Well, one thing. was the world. One was the world tag team titles, and the other one was the WWE. Ah, okay. Just like they did. Well, that's what they did with the championship. Yeah. Right, the right. World right. title and the WWE title. Yeah, like it's weird because they haven't really gone out of their way to really like explain it that much. You know, like they haven't like they haven't had Stephanie say this is our titles or something. They've just kind of created these new titles kind of low key and not really mentioned now that they're like they haven't really put a lot of emphasis on the idea that there's two sets of tag titles now. They just kind of be like, oh, yeah, these are the titles. We'll just pretend like the Raw ones don't exist. Yeah, I, th- I don't think they they separated them. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, but until the Penny titles. Mm-hmm. It might have been that late in the game. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Anyway, but it's going to be uh, Anglin Benoit versus Edge and Ray, and this is going to be two out of three falls for the titles. So a lot to this one. Uh, we start off with Ray outworking Kurt using his speed and causes uh, Kurt to take a pretty nasty bump, a nasty spill to the outside. That was nice. Edge comes in for Ray and Kurt, Kurt uh, puts Benoit on without asking. So kind of Benoit is a little myth that he gets tagged in without, you know, kind of without any planning or anything. Kurt ends up grabbing Edge's hair on the apron, um, which I thought was a pretty good little subtle note given their feud was based on, you know, they had the hair versus hair feud at one point. So like, Kurt grabbing his hair. I thought, I don't know if they meant to do that, but just in my mind, I thought it was a pretty fun little callback. But it allows the heels to kind of take over. Just a lot with that. I'm not going to go move for move, but just a lot of these guys tagging in and out. Super fluid. Great double teams by Edge and Ray with a lot of like Edge throwing Ray onto Benoit. And that's actually how they end up getting the first fall is that um, Edge launches Ray into Benoit. He rolls him up, kind of hits almost like a Rana type move and rolls him up. And that's when we get the first fall. So the. Um, the uh, faces are on top, which I thought was a cool little touch because a lot of times you they we you, you maybe have the trope of the the faces going down early and having to make the comeback, but in here it was all about the faces kind of having this hot start and building their momentum in the first fall. So you kind of have the heels working from behind, which I thought was a good little twist. Uh, any thoughts on this first fall, uh, Mike? I mean, I thought it was great, and mm-hmm. and I was thinking the same thing about the callback with the hair. Uh, and even if they didn't mean to do it, it, it did. It was a nice little highlight for for people that you know look for that kind of stuff. And also, you know, to have the faces go over that probably shocked the crowd to you know to start like because you're you're so conditioned on it being you know one nothing heel one one, and then who knows what happens from there. 
Right. Uh, but I like the way they go into the second fall, too. So as we go into the second fall, the urgency from Angle and Benoit just gets up. It's like they know that they're down, and they just do, like, uh, they go they go full like Angle and Benoit, just up the intensity, uh, like uh, just completely go after Ray, start dissecting him. Ray gets a top rope bulldog, so it gives him a little bit of a second to recover. He gets a hot tag to Edge, Benoit, and uh, – and, uh, so Edge and Benoit go at it. Uh, Edge goes for the spear right into awaiting Benoit with the belt, which I thought was good when Angle comes back in. And so that kind of knocks out Edge. He gets into putting the ankle lock and actually has no choice but to tap after the belt shot. So I love the quick turn back for the heels. Like I like that the heels realize that they were down and it fits Angle and Benoit's characters of being like these intense, like um, – you know, their intensity and how they can just dissect people that they knew they were down. And so they quickly turn the tables and get the second fall. I thought that was really cool. And like we said with the first one, it's a, it's a nice twist to have them. It's like almost like they played the face role of getting that second fall, like coming back for the second fall, but in a heelish way by just kind of, it's like they locked in. And I also like that throughout this, they're really not, and part of it is that they have the whole thing that Stephanie says if they hit each other, you know, they're suspended. But I like that they didn't fall too much. Like, they didn't get too heavy-handed with the them not cooperating thing. It's like they played up more that these guys are both so good that they can kind of put it aside because they want to win that badly, which I thought was a, a good twist, too, on this, that they didn't get too into the them not getting along thing. Right. They just did it in the first match with the, like, the one tag. But mm-hmm. after that, I mean, they were really smooth, really aggressive. And, you know, the whole belt shot, I mean, you didn't have that too much. I mean, when Benoit was a heel, he never you didn't see him cheat too much, which was a little surprising. But I love the aggression. Uh, It really made sense, you know, because they're just two badasses. And just the the belt shot too. this time that spot so well, just he's waiting right there with the belt, because I can tell you, like, you can take this stuff for granted, but you start watching a lot of TNA and you can realize this stuff is not always <laughs> as well, well choreographed as it should be. When you see guys who like can't even hit, throw the powder in somebody's eyes correctly. So you kind of get to appreciate how flu, fluid, you know, when guys that are this good at it, how they can just hit all their spots perfectly and be in the right place. It's just amazing. But so with that, we go into the, um, the, the third and final fall. Um, we see a little bit here as Angle and Benoit start to crack. But again, I like that they start to crack a little bit, but they don't really slow down. They kind of get past it, which is cool. Like they don't fall back on that as their downfall. Like at this point, like they, they acknowledge it, but they don't focus on it too heavily. It doesn't become all of the match. Like they're still dissecting Ray. Um, Edge gets in. Even he can't get anything. And again, I just like that they they know what needs to be done. They, the conflict between those two is not enough to make them go after each other and not win this match. And just, I love the dynamic of both these teams. Like, because Benoit and Angle kind of have similar styles that they just balls to the wall through everything. And then you have the face team with Edge and Ray, where Edge is more of the uh, the bigger guy doing more, not really power moves per se, but, you know, is more of that mold. And then Ray obviously has the quickness, which is a cool dynamic. I just like the pairings of these guys. But so we go into what we think is going to be the finish. Um, like great, Ray, awesome finishing sequence, or what we think is going to be the finishing sequence as Ray kind of dodges the spear, uh, not the spear, but he dodges um, like 
he dodges the uh, angle, hits the Bronco Buster on angle in the corner, and Benoit just immediately goes after him, pulls him out of the corner, hits the German, uh, but Ray hits him back in the 619 position, angles it, uh, sorry, hits angle back in the 619, angle dodges it, Ray flips and gets the roll up, like jumps on his shoulders and does some crazy roll up. But the ref doesn't see it at the time, but Kurt had the ropes as Ray is getting the pin. So we count the three. Uh, Edge and Ben, not Edge and Benoit. Sorry, it's a lot to keep up with here. Kurt <laughs> and uh, Kurt and Benoit are living with Brian Hebner about this. We go to a commercial and we come back and find out that we're going to restart because Brian Hebner realizes that uh, Benoit had the ropes. And so we are actually going to go into our fourth fall and it was restarted. What do you think of the restart, uh, Mike? I loved it, and, and mm-hmm. because you don't normally see the heels get their get get it like that, it's normally a face they get screwed. We're gonna we're not gonna end it like this. Um, I didn't like the fact it was the ref that decided it, um, because why not do that every single match? Uh, but mm-hmm. anyway, that's something small. The sequence was phenomenal. I, yeah. I just, I mean, these four just going at it. Is just great, and and as we see later in two weeks, you know, it, it's just that SmackDown six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard what I what I'm going through it to really get across, like like when you watch it, the the fluidity of everything, just how they hit all these spots, and it's it's obviously like it just feels so natural and spontaneous, no matter how intricate they're doing. Like they're doing this intricate stuff, but it never seems like. You never see the strings too much. You never really feel like you see them setting things up or waiting for spots. It all just kind of flows, which is a testament to how good all these guys are. Yeah, I'm not comparing it at all to, and when I say this, I'm not saying they're macho steamboat, but it's almost Mm -hmm. like they planned it step for step like Mm -hmm. they did. You know, it's, it's so far, it's been almost like a perfect match. Right. And so we get the restart. Um, I love to hear as they get into this this fourth fall how like uh, and Taz and Cole do a good job of saying how deflating it is for Ray and Edge who are just holding they even like they had the belts they thought they wanted they're hugging each other like thinking they won the belts and now they have to restart so to your point Mike it, it's a cool twist on it because you normally think the the, the faces are going to get screwed they don't really get screwed but they sort of get you know it's fair because Angle did have the ropes but they now have to regroup it's kind of you know, thinking you won the game, and now you're going to overtime sort of thing. And they kind of sell that in the match, too, because they jump all over Ray. Like, uh, Benoit and Angle are all over them, knowing that they kind of have the upper hand now. They have the momentum now that these guys kind of are bummed that they didn't win the titles. But that Edge tags in, um, and he's really growing on me watching these as he's been doing this little tag run with Ray. He's a really good hot tag guy when he comes in and hits his little, like, flapjack move and stuff like that. Um, he has some nice energy when he comes in. But he gets thrown in the ankle lock, uh, but he reverses that, throws Angle into, uh, reversed into the turnbuckle. Ray actually goes while Angle's in the turnbuckle and hits the 619 from the outside or the outside of the ring post on Angle, which was a sick, nice little variation on it. Edge comes back, hits the spear. Um, Angle, sorry, Benoit goes for the flying head, but Edge is waiting for it. He moves, it hits Angle, and... Edge goes back for the cover, covers uh, Angle, and gets the one, two, three. And they do actually win the championships on that final fall. Great finish uh, with them, with him moving, having it scouted, given that these guys have fought before. Um, like, um, And I thought it was a nice little 
and again, I don't know if they mean to do this stuff, but it's just, you know, sticks out in my head that given that Benoit Angle have been sort of feuding with each other and don't like each other, that they would lose because even though it was unintentional, that one would hit the other. So it was mm-hmm. a nice little, I don't know, like symbolism or whatever to that one. I like how the two out of three falls played into it. I thought it was a nice use of the the extra fall. It moved pretty good. None of the falls lasted too long. They were all pretty evenly spaced. Um, I think this is just maybe a touch behind the No Mercy match, but it's pretty damn close. I went four and a half on a mic. It's a fantastic match, a classic. Um, and I, all I can say is I do feel like they need to move on from this feud now, and I think we need to move on into the Angle Benoit feud proper. And this is the perfect way to kind of be the the final breaking point. Now they've lost the titles, and now they're going to want to kill each other. So there you go, four and a half, great match, Mike. I gave it four and three quarters, um, yeah. and I have in my notes, wow, wow, wow. Um, and the the little twists and turns, I mean, come on. When when they when they restarted the match, probably 90% of the people didn't think they were going to win. Um, I mean, it's just their chemistry together is phenomenal. Just nonstop movement. Angle and Benoit not once stopped with the aggression, you know, and it, it's just uh, Rey Mysterio. People say that he was his, in his peak in WCW. I mean, you look at this and mm-hmm. it, you can see why he was one of the best in the ring. I mean, he, there was nothing he couldn't do. Yeah, he does a lot of cool stuff in these. Like, I know. I guess maybe like physically he's not where he was maybe in the nineties WCW stuff, but man, he pulls out some cool shit here. Like it's he's everywhere. And and I'm going to go for WWE. His best opponent, I think was Kurt Angle. I think that they were magic together from Bray's debut match, you know, to, to all these tag stuff. I, I just really think that, you know, him and Angle were perfect together. Yeah. At this point, it's hard to argue. I'd be, it'd be hard for me to argue with you at this point because the SummerSlam match, they've been great. It's, yeah, it's, if you haven't watched this one in a while or if you haven't watched it, um, it's an awesome compliment to the No Mercy match. It's like a good, and it's a much different one than the Mercy match because you have the two out of three falls. It's, you know, I thought they had fantastic storytelling through this, through all the falls, like kind of, Kind of going against maybe what your expectations would be of how this would flow. It's just, it's awesome stuff. Definitely check it out if you haven't seen it in a while or never seen it. Oh, man. Great. All right. We now hear the matches for the Super Tuesday event. And the the one I noted that was interesting, I didn't note all the guys, but that they're actually going to do kind of a cross-branded match on this Super Tuesday. I didn't remember. Did you remember this happening, Mike? I had no memory of this Super Tuesday thing. I probably watched it, but I don't remember any of it. All right. I guess it's just like a special they were doing UPM, but they're actually going to do like some eight-man tag with Raw guys and um, SmackDown guys. All right. We didn't see the Big Show. They asked uh, – Mark Lloyd asked Big Show who he thinks is going to win the Eddie Brock match, and Big Show weirdly says that he's going to win, which, of course, leaves Mark Lloyd confounded as to how he could win a match he's not in. Uh, we then had to Eddie, who was trolling Heyman, saying that he can't, uh, that Brock can't beat him. And as he's uh, saying that to Heyman, Brock flies out of the rock locker room and tries to 
destroy Eddie. Heyman scolds him for not controlling himself. Heyman continue to explain how he's put Brock on this trajectory, that he's the reason that Brock's in the position he's in, got in these matches, got his head busted open in the hell in a cell so he could beat Taker. And kind of like just putting over his responsibility for Brock's meteoric rise. And he says that um, if this is really what Brock wants, he doesn't want to listen to Heyman, then he can go out there tonight and do it on his own. So really reaching the tipping point of that. But I thought this was a good segment. This was really good. Like I, I like Heyman bringing up all the details of what he's done. And he sounds, he does sound like he's overplaying what he's done, but it also, he is making a good point that he has done a lot for Brock in this run and set him up and gotten himself like gets himself over as a manager. So I thought that he made some good points and I just like the tension between these two guys. It feels real. I feel like they've done a good job of making it feel earned, you know? Yeah. I mean, you, you don't expect to have, have happen what happens, but I really, you know, really think that it, it does it. Sorry, it it really does show that you know that they're really good together, and that Paul Heyman's really concerned. Yeah, agree. I thought it was a, a great segment between these two, um, but it will lead us into our main event match, which is going to be Eddie versus Brock. Uh, so to start off, Eddie tries to use Chava as a decoy, but it doesn't really work. It doesn't really slow down Brock at all. He immediately goes after Eddie. And this is just a lot of Eddie just taking a fantastic shit kicking. He just taking power bombs and backdrops. Like eleva like the ba- the elevation he gets on that backdrop is just insane. It feels like he's like twelve feet in the air. He just flies. Uh just making Brock look like a beast. He finally sneaks in a low blow and hooks in kind of a calf submission and does the classic like trying to chop down the tree trying to ground Brock by going after the leg. But uh, Brock, it's not really enough to keep Brock down. Chavo, in a last-ditch effort, tries to sort of run in and do a dive, but Brock tosses Eddie onto him, which ends up crotching Chavo in the corner, then grabs Eddie and ends him with the F5. So um, I thought it was good for Eddie, kind of. Like, it was solid. I thought Eddie sold all the offense really well, and Brock looked like a beast. And I think for a little bit of offense Eddie had, I thought it made sense and looked good. But I do think that it was kind of Eddie was not really presented as enough of a threat to make this too interesting to really elevate the match. Anything past decent for me. But I think for what it was, it accomplished it pretty well. So I went two and a half, Mike. But yeah, Eddie didn't. I think you have to make Eddie seem more credible to really elevate the match past that. Um, I gave it two and a quarter uh, mm-hmm. and I did like the match. I mean, and. You know, this is just a start of great things to come eventually between these two. Um, Eddie's not quite at the main event level yet, but it it did exactly what it needed to do. It showed Brock's dominance. Um, but Eddie, Eddie held his own. Yeah, I agree. It's just, yeah, it'll be, it'll come down the road when Eddie seems a bit more of a threat, but he was just... And this what he it was played as this he was just kind of the latest victim, you know, of Brock, which is fine. You know, I don't think he loses anything. Brock's a, a monster. He's the champion. It doesn't really hurt him. But of course, after the match, uh, show attacks on the ramp and ends up throwing Brock off the stage, um, just like he did to Undertaker, which is another stiff, uh, pretty sick looking bump. Like they obviously have some kind of thing down there, but it wasn't like a crash pad or anything. I mean, it seemed pretty sturdy. Like. You could hear him hit with a pretty good thud when he falls. And uh, Heyman is in utter shock after he sees what has happened to Brock. So you can kind of see that Heyman is still worried that 
Brock is not going to have what it takes to defeat somebody bigger than him like Big Show that can manhandle him like this. And that's how we close the show. Any thoughts on that last segment, Mike? No, you have your typical heel going over, you know, the face. I mean, even though Brock is just starting to become face. Uh, but, I mean, this is the really first time I, that you saw that, oh, my God, Brock's going to lose. I mean, you didn't even see that with the Undertaker feud that much. Uh, I mean, it is the Undertaker, but this is really the first time that he's really being manhandled. Right. Yeah, it's probably the most vulnerable he's looked. I would say even the – because, like, in the – and I think it's partially because they sort of – turn him face like in the undertaker feud he was always sort of the aggressor getting into undertaker's head like undertaker was the vulnerable one and now they're kind of presenting him as a vulnerable one which which is fine i have to say i don't want to see him lose to you know big show and his stupid tank top and his (laughs) shitty stupid looking jeans looking like a schlub but um we'll see we'll see what happens at the pay-per-view all right so that wraps up smackdown um Man, it's it's hard for me to go – like, I'm going to go 7 out of 10 on it because just on the back of that match, that's a classic match. And I thought, like, just that alone makes it an easy, good rating. And I thought the rest of the show was pretty good, too. Like, I enjoyed the uh, – I like the Brock and Heyman stuff. Like, like building up to them kind of falling out is good. And we had some fun little matches on the, on the undercard. We get some Matt Hardy doing some cool stuff. And uh, the opener was pretty fun. But – just that, you know, if you're getting a four-plus-star match on TV, it's hard to go much lower than maybe like a six or a seven. So I went a seven out of ten, Mike. Good show. Um, I went seven and a half. And mm-hmm. if there was no Al on this show, this could have <laughs> this could have been a nine. Um, you know, it, it it was really good. And like you said, I mean, a, a four-star, almost a five-star match. And it's definitely has boosted up the this show. And mm-hmm. even without that, it still was a better show than Raw. Right. Agreed. A lot tighter, a little more focused, and then you have a classic match. So, yeah, I agree. You got to give it a 9 out of 10. If you don't give it a 9 out of 10, Mike, I'll kill myself. <laughs> yeah. All right, um, best match. So we'll get into our awards here. Uh, best match, I think we're easily going to go that tag on SmackDown. Right? Oh, I, I was thinking show and versus Matt, but I, I'll agree with you. Right. <laughs> right. Um, best show, SmackDown based on our ratings pretty easily. Not even close. Right. Um, best moment, I think. I usually go like something out of the ring, not something in a match. I think I'm going to go with that final Brock and Heyman sort of argument where Brock flies out of locker room and Heyman tells him that he's made him and that if he wants to do it on his own. I thought kind of like the climax of their conflict, I thought was really well done. Um, I'm going to go with the Kane, Booker T, and Goldust. I, I just, Goldust is just so entertaining. Um, and I just can't get that vision with him raising his hand slowly going, what? I was young. And I just, it just cracked me up. I had to actually, I was laughing so hard. I had to rewind it a little bit just to hear the rest of the segment because it, it just, I just died laughing. So you're not going to go with Al saying that he was sexy and virile. <laughs> <sighs> Dang. 
you know, I forgot about right. that moment. Right. Uh, MVP, this is a tough one because I th- I'm going with somebody from the tag match, but it's hard to really zero in on one guy. So I'm going to go with Angle just because he's Angle, but I think you could easily go MVP. Could be any of the guys in that tag match. Ooh. I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of tough. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to Brock. I, I really think you know between between the segments and the match, um, I really think he was the MVP of the of the whole thing. Gotcha. Uh, LVP. Who are you going with, Mike, for LVP? Oh my God! You're gonna make me say his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely Al. There is no. And you, you guys, you guys have said like that the Kane and Katie Vick. You know, and not only you, but everybody has said Kane is one of the most worst things he, the WWE has ever did. Those people need to watch SmackDown. Just those segments around this time because Al is awful. Just <laughs> God. If people trash in WWE today, this is nothing. The, the, no. The, the Al is definitely by far the worst thing. All right. Uh, I'm trying to think about it. LVP, Amigo. I'm trying to think. I might, I might pick the te- the combined team of Al Snow and Tommy Dreamer. They just look like complete forgettable. Like Tommy Dreamer in his goofy hat and his generic American flag WWE shirt. Yeah, why is he know. wearing that hat? It, it they, makes no sense. Yeah, I'm going to go with them. They just you, like, I'm annoyed when I see them. You're not going to go with Big Show's wardrobe? Uh, <laughs> Big, Big Show's wardrobe is like... Yeah. It is like the, yeah, it would be LVP fly. If I could pick, yeah, if I could pick that, it would be Big Show's wardrobe. I cannot stand it. Like when I see him walk out, I cannot get over enough how much I hate it. Anyway, all right. Um, so we'll give a top five besides our MVP. So I went. Um, we made match on some of these. I went Booker T for one of mine. Mike, do you have Booker T? I'm um, yeah. I'm gonna go Booker T and all four participants of the tag. Yep, right. I'm right there with you. And I added, so since I gave Angle my MVP, I'm right there with you. Booker T, everyone in the tag, and then Eddie is going to be my third. Because I thought Eddie did well in his segment with Stephanie, and I kind of liked it. Like yeah, elevating it, 10 feet on the backdrop for Brock. And and it's kind of hard to for me to leave Eddie out because, you know, Latino Heat at this time was, was great. But, I mean, those four in that tag match, just you couldn't you couldn't top it right it's something that i think too brock's such a big part of it but the last two weeks like the smackdown six besides just having their own kind of feuds with the tag stuff and everything it's also the second week in a row one of them has made brock look awesome because you also had ray last time looking brock look great now you have eddie and they're bumping for him so they're also taking on that role of taking shit kickings from brock to make him look like a beast so they're really carrying the show. Can you imagine if Paul Heyman never had that falling out with McMahon around this time? <sighs> right. uh, what could have been? But anyway, another good SmackDown. Um, uh, 
but yeah, another good show. Thanks for coming on, Mike. Uh, would you like to plug what you have going on? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, you can listen uh, once a month. At, uh, me and Grooney, we do the Extreme Resurrection, going looking back at the the uh, resurgence, if you want to call it that, for WWE ECW. <laughs> um, it, it's definitely been interesting because I didn't get to watch it the first time around that much. Um, it's definitely an interesting thing i mean each show is only an hour so it's tough to get in you know everything you know and all the characters but it's fun you can catch us every week on on uh the main feed and also i've appearing on um a couple of the mount rushmores of wrestling and you can catch that on this on uh, the north south pod and we're always doing our WWE um, and our NFL pickups, so you could always reach out and join that anytime. Yeah, I was about to shout you out for that. You are the pickmeister, Mike. You, uh, you know, we're at all the, the our little pick pools and stuff, which is great. But uh, thanks for coming on. Um, listen to Mike's stuff. Listen to everything we have here on the North South Connection Network. Um, I'll be back in about two weeks' time to cover what I believe, I guess by this point, will be the Go Home to Survivor series. So it's coming up quick, but uh, I'll see you then. Um, I apologize if you heard me cacking at any point that I didn't mute in time. Um, I guess at the beginning, feeling with a little bit of a typical sinus infection this time of year that I get plagued with, but apologies if you caught me uh, um, sniffling or uh, hacking. But anyway, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. So alive, none of that's true. But not having you is making me blue. And I want you for the rest of my life. Yes, I want you to be my wife. I'll give you a ring and a home, sweet home. And if you want, you'll be free to roam. But not too far, I'll be begging you, please. Begging you, please.
you